Welcome into the Draftaholics, where every day is draft day. Sure are, buddy. The best ball drafts are heating up. I'm basically growing my best ball beard. We won't see him until all the best ball drafts are done, until all the League of Records have been drafted. Our big draft is coming this weekend. Hopefully yours are coming up very soon. Hopefully they're coming up soon. <laughs> they better be. going out to Vegas this weekend and next. It's going to be an electrifying time. For fantasy football fans, it's pretty much the best time of the year. Yeah. Man. This is great. So, welcome in, folks. We're so glad you're here. My name is Max Savoka, your host at Draftaholic on Twitter. To my right today, mm. in a new seat, that's George Sloten. And this is my seat forever, hopefully, at George Sloten. Glad to be here. Glad to be behind Antonio Brown. And glad to be really in the middle of everything. <laughs> I'm William Spinato, at W Spinato on Twitter. Two N's, one T. Oh, that's his thing. We got to get you on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. Those constant. And guys, <laughs> it's a great time of year. As we said, it's draft season, big time. Do you have any rituals? For this question of the hour, think about it for a second. Do you have any rituals or pre draft preparation that you rely on to get yourself in the zone? It's not quite an athletic event, it's not quite a test like back in school. It's somewhere in between there. You know, there's always heavy breathing. There's exertion. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot. You always want a pizza afterwards. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, William, what's your preparation like? You know, I'm the strategy guy. So, you know, it's not necessarily in the pre-draft prep. It's more of the mindset throughout the draft <laughs> that, you know, when you're, when you're with all your buds, when you're at, you know, fantasy football Christmas, your draft, you're going to want to hang out. You're going to want to have, you know, maybe a beer, maybe 12. In five. Yeah, exactly. So my strategy has been... You know, like the late round QB strategy, the late round intoxication strategy. When you go to reach for that beer, just wait till you get a few more skill position players and then maybe have a sip of your favorite, you know, your Sierra Nevada, your whichever really strong beer you're going to get to make your night awesome. I would definitely advocate that as well. Don't drink and draft, folks. It can be very dangerous, although it is not illegal in all 50 states. We can't say that your team will be the highest and most likely to win. That's true. And and speaking of late round, I'm all about the early round intoxication <laughs> for my league mates. Got them. Yeah, I'm all about getting them drunk. I'm all about finding out what they're allergic to. Anything. Yeah, Mr. George Gamesmanship Sloten here. I do anything to really make them, to put them off of their game. If there's some music they didn't like, I'm blasting it. If, I'm, if there's a girlfriend or an ex-girlfriend they're having trouble with, I'm talking about her. You know He's it. Inviting her. I'm, she's there. She's there. She's Skyping in. I am 100% doing all of that, and it's worked like a charm. It's incredible. It's incredible. Matt, anything you do? Yeah, well, I was going to go positive and say I, I visualized what the first round Oh, was come on, know, Matt. Matt. sounds zen now. You guys are bringing in not drinking, get everyone else to be drinking. <laughs> For me, it's all about trying to write down what happens in the first and second round. I play a little game with myself where I try to figure out, do I really know my league mates as well as I do? Do you? Oh, alert. I never know them as well as I do. So, <laughs> George, nice game. to meet you. Hi. Hi, nice to meet you. As well. We're against yeah, each yeah, other yeah, next yeah, week. Nice. This is going to be great. <laughs> so, what I say is to get out of your own head, to not make a last-minute decision, as I have done in the past and regret it. Just think about what your league mates are going to do that night before the draft, those hours leading up to the draft. You already know everything you're going to know. Enjoy the ride. Figure out what they're going to do. 
that get that value all the way through. All right, folks, I know William's been hard at work on that 10 draft challenge. We are going to be checking in actually with all of our player exposures as we get into the final week of the preseason. But for now, we've got another best ball draft lined up with a new twist. You'll see right after the break. Okay, folks, it's draft time. We are doing another draft from the draft deck. But the seating arrangement is the only switch up this time around. We are drafting against each other. We are three of the 12 teams in a draft today. Same score as last time at EPR. One quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a flex, a tight end, and 10 minute spots. Of course, we pick your best line every week. So, folks, want to see all of the picks in this draft you of course can hit us up on youtube if you're there already welcome you can see all the picks around us but in the interest of time we're just going to break down the draftaholics picks here we'll start with george he was at the six hole and antonio brown fell he of course went with antonio then aj green alex collins and mark ingram followed by golden tate rashad penny carlos high pierre garcon matthew stafford and marcus mariota then it was Charles Clay, Michael Gallup, Donta Foreman, Taewon Taylor, and Case Keenum as his third QB. He finished up with Austin Severian Jenkins, Albert Wilson, and Luke Wilson. Two straight Wilsons. I like it a lot. I was at the nine hole, started DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Doug Baldwin. Then it was Kenyon Drake, Rex Burkhead, and Jamal Williams to sure up the running back position, followed by Mr. Cam Newton in the seventh round. Robert Woods, Duke Johnson, Jack Doyle, Devontae Booker, Theo Riddick made up the middle rounds. And then I finished up with Josh Doxson, Derek Carr, Rob Kelly, Cortland Sutton, Hayden Hurst, and Ricky Seals-Jones. And finally, from the 12th spot, it was William who started out Odell Beckham Jr., Keenan Allen. I like it a lot. Then it was Royce Freeman, Adam Thielen, Sony Michelle, Corey Davis, Isaiah Crowell. Then it was Robbie Anderson, Kirk Cousins as his first QB, Marlon Mack, Jared Cook, Matt Breida, Tyrell Williams, and Frank Gore, the ageless wonder. Andy Dalton, Cameron Brait, Sam Bradford were his QB2, tight end 2, and QB3, and he finished up the draft with Vance McDonald of the Steelers. So, that was a lot of picks. That was 36 picks instead of 12, so obviously, <sighs> as we go through our quick shots, as we go through our deep dive, we're going to focus mostly on our individual teams, but that doesn't mean we can't stay on hashtag brand and talk about how our own ways of going about our own picks you know what that's called, folks. That's statistics, heuristics, and logistics. I'll go first with the statistics, folks. This was all about historical ADPs. I had the choice between the running back eight and the wide receiver two. Guess what I chose? The wide receiver two. <laughs> I had the choice between the running back 12 and the wide receiver five. Guess what I chose? The wide receiver five. I had the choice between the running back 20 and the wide receiver 13. Guess what I chose? The wide receiver 13. Eventually, this is about how historically these picks do compare to their flex cohorts. So at running back 20, you're starting to get to the no man's land where zero games played or one game played is actually in the statistical range of outcomes for these running back picks. They look good right now, six weeks from now, some of them will not. From there on out, it was just value. I'm going to talk about those late wide receivers, including Bobby Woods, who on a zero RB team is a late wide receiver. But... I won't brag about, uh, well, I won't brag 
back too much, I'll <laughs> say. But we did throw this into football, guys. Rate my team. And guess who had the best percentage of the three of us to make the playoffs or to finish in the top four in this case? That would be yours truly at 35%. Congratulations. Nailed it. I'll take it. Big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? I mean, I think there's a lot of elements that you kind of talked about in terms of the zero RB strategy, which if, if you look at our draft board, Matt and I kind of both employed that. I, I do feel like at the later ends of first round draft picks this year, it's not a bad way to go. The reason a lot of these running backs are going off the board in the first round. And as we're seeing in mock drafts and the play drafts that I've done, running backs are disappearing really quickly. So Matt points out you're, you're looking at one of the top wide receivers available versus getting a possible running back two who could not play any games. So in this situation, this was my second time drafting from the 12 slot. I'm halfway through my 10 draft uh, challenge last night. Uh, I got the 12 slot and, and I kind of took a swing at the zero RB strategy, but I decided this time uh, with Odell falling to me and my pick of uh, my favorite pick for later, Keenan Allen, uh, I, I was going to dive into not really taking a running back in the early rounds. I do feel like there's some value to be had with the rookie running backs that are falling later. I feel like that's as ADP is developing through late August, there are some running backs that are not only in am ambiguous situations, but they're rookie, rookies and some are getting a little bit banged up, but are going to end up uh, in better positions like Rashad Penny I've been grabbing in a lot of drafts. Uh, Sony Michelle is available closer to the fifth or sixth round. Um, people like Marlon Mack are falling as well. I just feel like when you have one of those later round draft picks, you can employ a zero RB strategy this year. And it, I think it's it's really working out. Uh, the last couple of drafts that I've done where I've leaned toward later round running backs, I've, I've felt good about my team. Um, so I was kind of excited to try that combination of strategies from the 12, 12 slot this time. And, and I think it worked out. George, are there are there any stories that you maybe want to tell us about uh, about this draft? Yeah, I'd say. Just running through your team. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna call my team Team Geode. Oh, that is cage. It's like a crystal grand canyon. I think it's a geode for this week okay <laughs> you know what a, ge a geode is right it's yeah. the it's the rock that doesn't look too pretty from the outside but you put it in a in a really crappy athletic sock and you bang it on your on your on your driveway concrete or you take a hammer and you hammer it and you open it up do you remember what you find on the inside you find beauty <laughs> and in this case you find upside okay that's what i find so uh, a couple of a couple of uh, a couple of storyboards run through my uh, my team for this week. Um, the first one I'm going to go with is the is the QB wide receiver stack. Um, <clears throat> I was very fortunate to get two quarterbacks that I'm very high on this year: Matthew Stafford and Marcus Mariota. And accompanying them, I have Golden Tate and Taiwan Taylor. Um, I think a lot of my picks in uh, in this draft were were names of players that have proven themselves in the past. And that may find themselves in a situation where they may be fighting for the job, um, or or at least there's someone else there that uh, may may eat into their snap percentage. And I disagree with those people. 
Um, I think people are afraid of Alex Collins because of Kenneth Dixon and and whoever plays that Danny Woodhead role. I think people are afraid of Golden Tate because of Marvin Jones. I think people are afraid of Rashad Penny because of Chris Carson. I think people are afraid of Carlos Hyde because of Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson. I think people are afraid of Pierre Garçon because of Marquise Goodwin. I think people are afraid of Michael Gallup because of Alan Hearns. I think people are afraid of Donta Foreman because of Lamar Miller. I think people are tired of Taiwan Taylor because of Corey Davis. Do you get... The story here I'm telling you. Yeah, I think people are afraid of geodes. I don't know why they're afraid of geodes, <laughs> but really, they need to be afraid of nothing. Don't judge a book or a rock by its, its outside cover. cover. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, exactly. And on, and, and, and within these geodes, there are also some incredibly uh, valuable upside players that were sitting for me. Alex Collins was the 17th running back drafted in our draft. He, was, he would finish as the RB9. Last year, once he started from week, I think, eight on. Golden Tate was the wide receiver 15. He was drafted as the wide receiver 24. 90-plus receptions the past four years. 4,000 yards over those last four years. He's uh, it's just ex- exceptional. People are afraid of, oh, Marvin Jones. What about Kenny Galladay? No. It's a geo. Golden Tate is tried and true. He's been doing this for a half a, half a decade, guys. It's not going to change. People are afraid of Rashad Penny because of his injury. I'm not. I'm actually happy that he's not playing the preseason because people like uh, Tyrod Taylor or Tyrod Taylor are getting hurt. And this just allows Rashad Penny to, to, to heal up and be and have healthier a healthier body for preseason, excuse me, for the preseason to end and week one to start. Um, I like all, yeah, yeah, I like all my players, okay? And that's because they're it's all geodes. There's a narrative in every single pick that says, how surprised would you be if they essentially did the same thing you expected them Exactly, to exactly. It's not hard. None of these are intellectual stretches. None of these are difficult. All I I'm, love the logistics you're talking about. Yeah. I love your strategy, your heuristics, and of course, I'm a fan of my statistics. All right, folks, now it's time for that segment you know and love. It's the draft Oh, wait. Oh, I got it. He shoots, he scores. It's the draft It's quick shots. Of course, first up, it's our favorite pick. And I noticed a Titan creeping up the draft boards this week. Sure is. Who's that, George? Taewon Taylor. And the reason why I chose Taewon Taylor as my favorite pick this week was because of Matt LaFleur, the new offensive coordinator in town. He is from, yeah, the floor is mine. He's from the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay school of being really good at offense. We're going to see bits of 2016 Falcons. We're going to see bits of 2017 Rams. Think Cooper Cup. We're going to see 2012 uh, Redskins. Think RG3 during his prime. Uh, these are three teams that were prolific offenses, and these are these guys. Uh, this brain power is going to be in Tennessee. Taewon is going to roast nickel cornerbacks and safeties. Uh, Cooper Cup last year went for 870 yards and five touchdowns. Taewon in our draft was the 64th wide receiver taken off the board, and Cooper Cup's numbers last year makes him the wide receiver 27. I see Taewon going above that and becoming a wide receiver two. Maybe even the potential of, an, of a borderline wide receiver one, but certainly in the wide receiver two category. Going in the in the late rounds of the draft, he can be the wide receiver one on a LaFleur offense. Corey Davis is still yet to prove himself. When LeBron tweets about a performance you have, you get a bump. You get the LeBron bump. I'm definitely going to take it. All right. Matt, do you have a favorite pick? I do, and it was in the late rounds. I was looking for a running back. It ended up being my second to last running back pick. It was Theo Riddick. So have you guys ever asked yourself, when you're looking for a running back that's not a bell cow, that's not getting every single touch for his team, what do you look for exactly in a, in a running back, in that running back? What do you look for? What, what do you look well, for? Well, I broke it down. I, I spent <laughs> way 
get too much time breaking this down, but basically what you want is a player who A, received volume in the past and expects to receive that volume in the future. B, when they received that volume, they were able to evade tackling on an efficient level. So when they receive that volume, there's only two ways they can get it, through the ground or through the air. We prefer through the air. But if they are going to get it on the ground, we prefer light fronts. That's number of linebackers and linemen. Six or less is a light front. Seven, eight, nine, the number of yards per carry league-wide goes down. So what about Theo Riddick? Theo Riddick was number 10 in targets per game for the, for the running back, and he was number six in juke rate. That's evaded tackles per touch, which made him 11th in the yards per touch, and he was able to do that as the 51st running back in opportunity share, as well as the 51st running back in carries per game. So even though he ran behind a number 29 offensive line that might be improved, he's offensive line agnostic because of the way he gets his volume through the air. Even though on Johnson is there, even though that line improved and they want to run the ball, they will have to pass, they will have to pass on third down, and that's Theo Riddick's job. My favorite pick this week, these guys give me crap for it because it was my second round pick. It was Keenan Allen. He's more than just my second round pick. He is someone who I'm going to call my fantasy MVP of this year. I feel Whoa. like he has oh, the opportunity. I feel like he has the opportunity to unlock something he's never done before. Last year, he was able to play his full 16 games, kind of shedding that injury-prone tag. According to Matt Harmon's reception perception, he, like the other elite wide receivers, is impossible to cover. And I feel like he's going to unlock another tier of scoring this year that he hasn't been able to do before. I would call, I think Keenan Allen has the possibility to score double-digit touchdowns. I think with the injury to uh, Hunter Henry, he's going to have more opportunities in the red zone to take him to that next level. It is splitting hairs when you're talking about those top six wide receivers when we're into that second tier with Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, who I passed on for Keenan Allen because I feel like he is going to have that kind of electric year this year with the Chargers. It's just not crazy to put him in that tier anymore. Not at all. All right, it's time to defend our pick. I almost couldn't believe it when you guys put this on the show sheet. You guys made me defend the third round evaluation of Doug Baldwin. Now, I already went into why the third wide receiver at that point in the draft was something that I was really considering based on historical ADPs, but boy, am I buying the dip on Doug. I feel like he was locked into that wide receiver one tier by consensus rakers all over the industry, and then that amorphous knee injury. Pete Carroll with that coach speak of all coach speaks, talking about that knee in ways that make no logical sense whatsoever. And I get it. It may not be something that he can escape the entire year. But when he is on the field, he is unequivocally the best receiver on that team. And my goodness, they are top tiers in the league in vacated targets, vacated touchdowns, vacated red zone targets, vacated air yards. And who did they add? Jaron Brown, Brandon Marshall, Ed Dixon, even if Brian Schottenheimer is this old-school caveman of a coach, first of all, maybe he's not horrible, and if he's going to do all these caveman things, maybe he just feeds the wide receiver one with his all-star, all-pro quarterback. I will bet on efficiency in the face of inefficient play calling from Baldwin and Wilson. The player these guys asked me to defend was Corey Davis, who did not have a great rookie campaign. And yes, I did take him as the 28th wide receiver off the board, but I'd like to speak to what George was speaking about earlier, Mr. Matt LaFleur. He has been moving Davis around the formation in these three wide receiver sets. 
which means that he can be put into uh, good matchup situations against uh, like the nickel corner, for example, and which is how elite wide receivers are used. Most importantly, I want to point out that he was my fourth wide receiver, and I was drafting from the turn. So in a situation like this, I wanted to be, get a part of what I feel like is going to be a very high-powered fantasy, fantasy scoring efficient offense, and in someone like Corey Davis, who I feel like has that serious wide receiver one upside. And with the way that the draft was form, uh, forming for me, he was going to be one of the last wide receivers I was going to take. Yes, he was only my fourth one, but because he's coming in behind Beckham, Allen, and Thielen, I feel like someone with upside like that who, yes, they haven't exactly shown that wide receiver one edge before, locking him in as my fourth wide receiver gives me strength to that wide receiver core. I think that's an exceptional pick. You know why? Why, George? You want to, wait. I know, we gave him, we had to defend, he had to defend essentially for the same reason his quarterback pick, yeah. Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. Quack, quack. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, 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 so Terry... <laughs> Former Duck is right. So two reasons why I picked Marcus Mariota. The, the round before I took Matthew Stafford, who is essentially um, like a tried and true quarterback to me. He's not necessarily boomer bust. He's he's just so consistent. And Marcus Mariota was very inconsistent last year after a stellar 2016 season. Um, to, to piggyback off of Will, Matt LaFleur is going to do wonders in Tennessee. Um what I, what I wanted here was a quarterback that also had some upside in terms of rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Marcus Mariota's had 300-plus rushing yards the past two years. He's had seven touchdowns over those two years. I certainly see him getting three or four more. Uh, that 50-60 that 50, 50, point bump in, in just rushing yards and rushing touchdowns alone is a huge thing in terms of best ball. Um, DeMarco's gone. The ball is, is in his court. Um, Corey Davis is not a bad person to throw to. Delaney Walker is not a bad person to throw to. Deion Lewis is not a, is a great pressure reliever. Yeah, absolutely. So, and also Mariota went from throwing touchdowns on 5.8% of his uh, passes to 2.9%. That's an abysmal drop. He is so due for positive regression. It's not even funny. No need to defend him because he's going to be the QB one overall. (laughs) Wow. I'm just kidding. I'm like, totally kidding. I like the pick of Marcus Mariota, and you're recognizing a theme here. We are seeing the results of a new coaching staff occur in the preseason, and it's exciting. Yeah. So these players are creeping up the draft board all August long. It makes sense. Corey Davis has all the trappings and trimmings of a wide receiver one. Yes, it's early in the draft, but the way that you structure your team, it's okay to take that risk. Sometimes it's not okay. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But yeah. in this case, I understand why we made him defend it and I understand why you made the pick. As you can see by the motions behind me, put on your hard hats. It's time for construction quarter, roster construction quarter, where we talk about the pick or set of picks that were made for reasons beyond just player evaluation. So, George, I saw that you picked four running backs in rounds three through seven, very different than some of the Draftaholics draft in earlier episodes, which were very wide receiver heavy. Tell us why you went that way in this draft. I started off my draft wide receiver, wide receiver, and I was really desperate to get some running back depth as soon as possible after I got Antonio Brown and A.J. Green, did both of whom... Did we all start wide receiver, wide receiver? We did, I yeah. Think, yeah, I guess we did. Uh, and I was the most scared of, uh, of that zero RB strategy, so I wanted to go with my buddy uh, Alex Collins in the third round. Um... Big fan of his, 4.6 yards per carry last year. As I said earlier in the, in the episode, he was the RB9 once he got control of the ball in the backfield of, of the Ravens. And if he's going as the RB17 in, our, in in this draft, 
Tons of upside there. Uh, the trio, also including Rashad Penny, Mark Ingram, and Carlos Hyde, all have extreme upside. Carlos Hyde was the RB11 last year. He was the RB32 in our draft. Rashad Penny is going to be the Seattle Seahawks starting running back. Mark my words. I don't care if he's back week one or the week or two days before that. He's going to be the starter. And in, in regards to Mark Ingram, yes, he's, he's going to be on a great vacation for four weeks. He's not... He's not sad about it. He's just going to be in Hawaii. And then guess what? He's going to come back and destroy. He had the 10th most touches in 2017, even with sharing the backfield with Alvin Kamara. Um, and, and Ingram finishes the RB6. I see some extreme upside with all four. I really needed that running back depth, especially after going wide receiver, wide receiver. And uh, that's what I did. You know, we were just talking about I'm halfway through my 10 draft challenge. And I have to admit something. There have been some drafts that I've left without as many quarterback and tight ends as I've wanted. I know you've probably ended up in this situation too. You're getting towards those late rounds. You're like, oh, wait, I, I've employed late round QB so much that I don't actually have any quarterbacks. And I don't even have, I don't even have three rounds no left round. to take Zero QB. Not, exactly. It's not what we endorse. So no. basically here, come, come around thir- round 13, 14 here. All I'm thinking is, okay, do I have quarterbacks yet? Do I have tight ends? And I realized I had four rounds left. I could take a couple more shots on skill position players. And I was going to, and there were enough QBs and tight ends on my draftable list, which which is what you're looking for in those late rounds. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I could take a couple more skill positions. Right. And that's why the last four rounds of this draft for me went Andy Dalton, Cameron Bray, Sam Bradford, Vance McDonald. So you went against one of your tried and true rules. But when you win against it, you win against it hard. hard. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Usually I don't like to draft a couple of the onesie positions back to back, which is a rule that I've been just like throwing in and out of the window this season. But yeah, this time I went against that hard. I love it. Rules are made to be broken. Mm-hmm. So my favorite part of the draft was how I finished out the wide receiver position after going three straight wideouts to start this draft. So if you look at my board, I went Robert Woods in the eighth, Josh Doxson in the 13th, and Cortland Sutton in the 16th. And from a player evaluation standpoint, I was very, very specific about those three. Robert Woods, I consider the Ty Montgomery of the wide receiver position this year. No one really knows which of Cooks or Cup or Woods are actually going to be the wide receiver one when it shakes down with air yards, with targets. We do know that they are part of a prolific offense that probably will be in the red zone a lot, that probably will have less touchdowns to the running back position, especially through the air. And who does that benefit the most? Those three main wide receivers. They love to spread the ball around, so why not take the cheapest one? That was Robert Woods. Next on my list was Josh Doxson, and I'm going to group Cortland Sutton into this list because listen to these metrics about these two players who have yet to prove themselves in the NFL. Doxson and Sutton are both huge, both over 6'2", both over 200 pounds, both have an over 90th percentile catch radius, which are assisted by 95th percentile burst scores for Doxson and 96th percentile agility scores for Sutton. You know I love that burst score. Burst scores are great. (laughs) Both have above average height adjusted speed score, above average burst score, above average agility score, above average spark X score, above average college dominator rating, that's share of TDs and yards, above average college yards per reception, and both of them broke out at above average ages. So these are players if any player is going to come in and make immediate impact for Doxson, immediate healthy impact, it's players playing on all downs, just like they said in Denver, just like I've seen for myself in Washington. Those two can be wide receiver ones if it breaks right. I'm sold. Well, as you can see, we have some very different opinions when it comes to drafting our own Boy. teams 
all of that good feeling, all of that symbiosis we had going on when we were just doing one team, pretty it's much. It's gone. Pretty much yeah. gone. We pretty much hate each other. It's going to be several <laughs> weeks or months until our next episode. Therapy. I'm just getting word in my ear that we're going to have an episode next week. Oh! Hey. oh. We're going to work out our issues. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. We're a little baby show, so please tap that subscribe button. Please follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm Matt, at Draftaholic. To my right. At George Sloten. The George Sloten. Across from me. At W. Spinato. The Consonant Man. And <laughs> all of us at Draftaholics Pod. Give us a ring. Give us a shout out. Tell us we're dumb. Tell us we're smart. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Tell me I'm cute. You're only as good as your last Peace. Thanks for watching the Draftaholics, where you're only as good as your last pick.